0: Hi, it's Kanika, and I'm back with a brand new season of That's Total Mom Sense, where I interview parenting experts, world renowned thought leaders, best selling authors, and trailblazing entrepreneurs on their incredible life stories and Mom Sense experiences.
1: Hi, I'm Gabby Bernstein, and you're listening to me on
0: That's Total Mom Sense. It's me, Bobby Brown, on Total Mom Sense. Can't wait to share my story. Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa, and you're listening to me on That's Total Mom Sense. Pandemic or not, these episodes will inspire you to make every single day count. Episodes release on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Join my tribe and subscribe wherever you listen so you never miss an episode.
1: There was also some studies about kids who watch. Mr. Rogers are kinder than those who don't. And I actually went into TV because I didn't love what was on TV for kids. Like we have with Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street and the kids of that day, early 90s, did not. And so so much it wasn't, you know, there's so much other programming. And so I wanted to bring it back to the fact that, you know, we could put something on that kids can learn from, even if they don't realize they're learning.
0: As moms, we often wonder, am I doing enough for my kids I'm here to tell you, you are Super Mama. That's because we have an undeniable superpower, our intuition, and it never sears us wrong. I call it our Mom Sense. Hi, I'm Kanika Chadha Gupta, and I'm the host of That's Total Mom Sense. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, wife, and mom of three, twins plus one. Now, if I had a dollar every time I heard, gee, you have your hands full. On my podcast, I interview influential moms from various industries and cover topics that all first-time parents grapple with, from getting your baby to sleep, to screen time allowance, your new normal in your marriage, and how to dedicate time to yourself. Learn and laugh along with that Total Mom Sense. Growing up, I vividly remember watching fun educational programming with my younger sister like Sesame Street, Reading Rainbow, 321 Contact, and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. The common thread was that these shows were so wholesome and educational and enriching. Today's interview is with media trailblazer and pioneer in children's programming, Angela Santomero. Joan Rogers, wife of the late Fred Rogers says, Angela is carrying on Fred's legacy with her work in children's media, a modern day Fred Rogers. Angela C. Santomero, creator and executive producer of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, Blue's Clues, Wish and Poof, Creative Galaxy and Super Y has been changing the way children watch TV for more than 20 years. She is the creator, executive producer and writer for award-winning kids and family content for PBS, Nickelodeon, and Amazon Studios. With a master's in child development psychology from Columbia University Teachers College, Angela's vision for integrating educational curriculum into entertaining content for kids led her to co-create, executive produce, and head write Nick Jr.'s landmark series, Blue's Clues. Malcolm Gladwell referred to Blue's Clues as one of the stickiest TV shows ever made in The Tipping Point. Angela is a recipient of the prestigious Peabody Award for Outstanding Children's Programming, as well as several Gold and Silver Parents' Choice Awards. Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood was awarded an Emmy for Outstanding Preschool Children's Animated Series at the 2019 Daytime Creative Arts Emmy Awards. Ms. Jamero's book, Preschool Clues, Raising Smart Inspired and Engaged Kids in a Screen-Filled World, produced by Touchstone, was released in April 2018. Her second book, Radical Kindness, The Life-Changing Power of Giving and Receiving was released last year as well. Angela, it is so exciting to have you on the show and to get into our chat today. So thank you, thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you, I'm excited to be here.
0: I feel like you must be this big kid at heart because you really understand children's programming and essentially how their minds work. So let's take a trip down memory lane And if you could just tell us a little bit about your childhood and what it was like growing up for you. So I grew
1: up in New Jersey, grew up in a loud Italian family. I have a little sister, four years younger, and a little brother who was actually 14 years younger. And so I think Rob became kind of my first child development experiment. And so watching him grow up was kind of that first piece. But I was an avid... Babysitter, camp counselor, even going back out at that preschooler that couldn't sit closer to the TV when Mr. Rogers was on. I read every single book that I could read, you know, just always immersed myself in worlds, fantasy worlds in a lot of ways. I loved that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I found kids really funny. Like they would just cry <laughs> with them, you know, like I, I remember even babysitting, like thinking that they were just hysterical. So it was always kind of one of those things of putting together what I loved, which was, you know, this influential media and like what TV and exciting and entertaining and entertainment is so exciting with kids. And then also educating and using the medium of TV to educate, you know, kind of, it makes sense to me when I think back uh-huh. on, my, uh, on all the stuff I managed, um, a toy store in high school, you know, F.E.O. Schwartz in the mall. Oh my
0: know, gosh. Mall, yeah. yeah. So all those things. Tell us some of the career milestones from your perspective, because your resume is incredible. So let's dive into that. Like, is there anything that you remember that was like, ah, oh, that was, that was an achievement right there?
1: all of it, I think I'm still kind of in awe of, um, of how much fun it is of what I get to do. You know, yeah, they're stressed. So I don't want to say that it's just fun, but I still love it. But research was one of the first things that I fell in love with this idea of understanding how kids watch TV and how they learn and Nickelodeon under Jerry Laborn. It was all about Understanding kids and being in research, and so I fell in love with that aspect when I was at Nickelodeon. I was in their research department, so I thought that was the most fascinating thing I could do. And then started to become kind of the preschool expert because of my background, and started working more with creators and developers of programming. And I, as a Jersey girl, had had opinions <laughs> that, I, uh, <laughs> that I would share, and so um, you know, respectful opinions, but those would get me into a few more meetings. And so I think that, you know, one of those meetings that I'll never forget happening was this idea of a game show for preschoolers and that Nickelodeon was looking for something similar to the success they had with Double Dare. And so that led me to thinking about it differently, which was the beginning of Blue's Clues. So that moment, and then I remember, you know, going through all the pieces that you have to go through, which takes, you know, usually it takes years and this took at least a year to kind of get going, but we were on set. And I came back from set and put pictures up all over my wall in the office. And I said, I cannot go back to my day job. Like, this has to work. This is the most <laughs> exciting thing I've ever done. So, yeah, writing something and then watching it come alive, right, was really intoxicating. And then afterwards, when school Sploos, Sploos premiered, watching kids react to it was this the other thing, you know, I think the milestones really were Blue's Clues for 10 full years with that team. Like I'll still cry if I think about my team wow. and then uh, conti- being a- having the opportunity to continue to, to work with PBS and to, and to promote a reading show and, you know, the opportunity to meet Fred and to do his legacy project, which was Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. So those kinds of moments are those pinch me moments for me.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. With Blue's Clues, I feel like you really revolutionized TV with mixing the animated and Josh, the host. I think that's so cool. I haven't seen that since Roger Rabbit. I'm dating myself, but...
1: You know. That's what we would talk about. We would talk no about No way. Yeah.
0: Okay. So is that, how did that come to be? you, you were like, we're going to try this new format where we're mixing well, you know, it up?
1: You know, the big, the, one of the things that we knew, right, was that... Even back then, when there were very few shows on, we knew we had to cut through the clutter. And so what would you do that would make things look different? So that was one. And the other one was Mr. Rogers, right? So a real-life person um, who was not Fred at all, but a person that could look through the camera at you was something that was very influential for me. And then think about a preschooler as an animated character that could jump into games or jump into different fantasy moments was kind of the way that we started talking about it. And to sort of figure out that look, my co-creator Tracy Page Johnson was the queen of that. So us working together hand in hand with, you know, writing and, and researching and designing and creating and like trying to create something that, you know, you just, when you would flip the channels as we, as we used to do, you know, you would stop and look at
0: it. So how did, you revive Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood to Daniel Tiger. Like, what were those conversations like in the beginning before, you know, now we've seen what the um, final product is? You know,
1: it was funny because I was so, I was working on Superwise. I was in Canada a lot. It was Mm. really, really busy. And Kevin Morrison, who was the head of Fred Rogers Productions at the time, just kept tracking me down. And, have, you know, fly, like he flew to New York to be like, I need to talk to you. And so when we talked about it, I just said, look, I'm, I'm in, except for the fact that I will not try to find another Fred Rogers. Like, he was born, he wasn't found, so we can't do the show the way that it was done. But, you know, I was the biggest fan. So if we could think about animating the neighborhood of make-believe and growing up those characters... I would be really excited about that. So, you know, one of the things that Fred did as puppets was that Prince Tuesday as a baby puppet actually grew up across the series over the years. And I thought that like blew my mind. I thought that was the coolest thing. Because yeah. Like, you, right. Like, do you remember like the little, No,
0: I yeah, I, I do remember the lid of um, make believe in the trolley and uh, yeah. When you're saying yeah, Prince Tuesday, big, I remember. <laughs>
1: that inspired the idea of like, okay, what if all of those characters actually did grow up and had babies and kids of their own? That's so What cool. would that look like? You know? And so it was, that that just started everything and really it was my four-year-old self jumping in and playing with those characters you know like that was (laughs) really where that was but I have to say like as a super fan I knew when we were online before you know before the show would premiere I would get all of these like hate messages you know who is this person trying to bring back you know Mr. Rogers show and I would spend Mm. so much time being like I'll tell you who I am (laughs) just watch it Watch it and then tell me what you think. So thank God it worked out. But there's a ton of love in that show. It's just like a huge heart love, you know, for Fred project. The Fred Rogers Company is their experts at child development and understanding, you know, the Freddish approach to things, which is really signature. We had so much music that we could work with. Um, And so really the idea of navigating through that and creating something unique and, you know, beautiful for Fred's legacy was just kind of kind of coming out.
0: Yeah. But yeah, no, I,
1: I, I, he would hear me on press because every time someone would talk about Blue's Clues, I would talk about Fred and being, (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah, that led me to meet him, which was, you know, that was another big highlight for me. He wasn't pedantic, right? He doesn't talk down. He really talks to kids through the camera as if they're peers and he gives Mm -hmm. them size information, right? In a calm, way. And that really spoke to me. Right. And I I think, you know, when I talk about my loud Italian family, that's what it was like. And so he was very, very specific and very And it was really, um, I just absorbed the whole thing as did many, many kids. And so, you know, I kind of, I joke that I became a stalker, but I did do like a paper on him in eighth grade and found out that he had a master's in child developmental psychology. And so I ended up getting my master's. Um, you know, like there are definitely that he was very interested in learning about that, you know, understanding of what he was trying to say to kids and that, and how media can help reinforce that. And so that aspect of it really spoke to me. And so there was also some studies about kids who watch Mr. Rogers are kinder than those who don't. And I actually went into TV because I didn't love what was on TV for kids like we yeah. have with Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street. and. The kids of that day, early '90s, did not, and so, right. so much. It wasn't, you know, there was so much other programming, and so I wanted to bring it back to the fact that you know we could put something on that kids can learn from, even if they don't realize they're learning. The first time I met him, I got seated at his table when he was winning an award um, from the University of Pennsylvania, and it was a luncheon, and I, you know, stared at him the entire time and didn't even, you know, did that whole thing. <laughs> Freak out. And so I finally went over to him and I knelt down next to him and I just said, I just want you to know the whole reason I went to television was because of you. And I just hope that I can reach one child the way that you reached me through the TV. And I just did my my (laughs) like, kind of talk. And he just, what's your name? (laughs) We started over. and then he invited me to set and I happened to be with the head of PBS at the time and so she was flying to Pittsburgh within like a week I was flying to Pittsburgh and so we got to sit and watch him oh my god I like freak out watch him do the show you know and like and sing the song and like do the show and then I got to meet his staff at that time and understand just like how spend that entire day and little did I know that I'd be meeting them again you know, yeah. so many years later. So a few times, so we had corresponded a few times. He, he saw the child development in Blue's Clues, you know, he saw the theory. He didn't love a lot of what was on TV. He liked what we did. Um, and so all of that meant so much. It meant the world to me. And so the idea that they circled back to say like, we know, you know how to put <laughs> instructional technology and media into the, um, what would you do? And Fred would want you to to do something, um, to promote his legacy. And I was like,
0: Oh, oh my goodness. That that, yeah. So meant to be, and he really couldn't have picked a better person than you. So you're really, really helping parents out, um, and giving us these, um, these tools and resources to, to teach our kids to be like, to have the childhood that we had, you know, cause it's not that way anymore. So how has COVID impacted programming and business?
1: You know, for for Daniel, we're so um, fortunate that we have parents and kids that are watching so much, and so we felt such a responsibility to put something out to help the little ones through it. Yeah. And we love that the strategies are strategies. I mean, we hear stories all the time about kids singing them to their parents when their parents are mad. You know, or like <laughs> helping the count them, to four, the <laughs> count to four. You know, and sharing <laughs> with each other. And like, there's just so much, so so many sticky aspects of it so what could we do and so we fast-tracked you know nine-story animation brown bag animation fast-tracked everything our voodoo highway music the fred rogers company our writing team like everyone stepped up to say like we have a mascot of little kids that you know for little kids that they trust what should we do for covid and so we told a story a daniel story um that was in a sing-along format so that we could we could do that so that was like the first thing like I think like everybody else in the industry we just wanted to give back and wanted to make sure that we were giving strategies that were helpful and useful for for this age group and in addition to that it's really about for me it's about consistently getting that educational messaging out like super Y mm-hmm. is a 15 year old brand but it teaches reading to kids right and we have longitudinal studies to prove that and it's going gangbusters right now, again, because parents are home and wanting that reinforcement for a literacy curriculum. And so I, we just keep thinking the team is very invested in talking to parent experts, preschool experts, and figuring out what kids need now and what they'll need, you know, two years from now.
0: Right, right, right. You know, as parents, I think the, the one thing that we're doing to a fault is too much screen time. But then again, it's like, you know, our own work has to get done. We're managing the household, everything. It's just, it, there's so many balls in the air. And the one thing that we can do to placate our kids is like, here is the tablet, you know? So how do you help us kind of remedy that? Because we know that the ramifications aren't good.
1: Well, no, I mean, I think, you know, my book was all about how when you're informed and you, and you have a little bit more information, there's no guilt. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're you're choosing the high quality media or interactive games that, you know, the vision and the research behind it equals your family values or equals where your kid is at or equals their emotional state. Right. And once you know that, then it has like a good and I talk about a green media smoothie that when you know something has a good mix of. You know, the educational piece, I talk about it as education and sweets, which is like, it has to be entertaining where the kids want to watch it. They have to like Daniel Tiger, right? Right. And then the engaging piece, which is like, how are they making your kids think or engage or interact or what are they taking from the show? And anything that we do, I always say it better be this half an hour or, you know, 22 minutes that we're talking to kids better be better than anything else that they could be doing anything like running outside whatever all those amazing things that they could be doing this better be better than that and what does that look like and that's when I said I'll be done in terms of creating shows and doing stuff is when I know that we've like covered all all the everything (laughs) but like that's really the point because then there's no guilt because as far as we're concerned right it's like Would you feel guilty if your kid ate plates of broccoli all day, you know, unless unless their stomach hurt afterwards, right, which is like everything in moderation. But like, that's the that's really what I want to say. Like, we have enough guilt as parents that there really should not be one of those things that you feel guilty about. There's enough good quality media out there that you can feel okay about it.
0: Yes. Yes. I love that. I wanted to just touch on your books as well that we, that I mentioned early on, but preschool clues just by the title, it's raising smart, inspired and engaged kids in a screen filled world. And we talked about it a little bit just now, but you know, when you're raising kids, the, the most pivotal years, any psychologist will tell you, is zero to five. And I, I just think of, you know, when you turn 25 to 30, not much changes. You know? But zero to five, they're going from learning language and crawling to walking to potty training to like holding their bottom themselves bottle themselves it's it's just these leaps and bounds that they're achieving on a daily basis so why is it so pivotal for parents to like kind of impress upon their kids the values that they want to carry on through adulthood during these preschool years
1: I mean, it's exactly what you said about that level of development. There's so many things that they're learning and relearning. And and it's like, you know, they say they're sponges, but they're more like seeds because they can, through repetition, they're able to, to see and view the world and then like distill down what, what we think is the most important because that's what they're seeing through repetition. And so, when we're showing them, when we're telling them something, but we're doing something different or, we, or we're <laughs> modeling what we're doing or how we're doing it. Like all of that makes such a difference in those years because of their brain, because of the science, because of how they're developing. Um, and so you want everything in that concentric circle. If your child is in that concentric circle, like everything of that, that feeling of love. And, and you talked about it with having grandparents around, like that circle of love to know that as you grow beyond yourself to like your immediate family and then to your grandparents, And what that feels like. And, you know, beyond five, I mean, usually potentially a little bit earlier, but you start to bring in outside forces into your child's Mm. life. And then all of a sudden, all these other messages are getting in that you might not necessarily have agreed with, right? Like being told something differently. But they are trying to understand the world so much. And I used to talk about it about the gate that you have, like this boundary that you have around your little ones. And then as they get older, right, the boundaries start to grow, but they're still listening. And then they're, and they're still listening up until that point when they stop, <laughs> you know, so you really have to take it, take it all in while their brain is really growing as much as you can to hope that you're filling all of that, all that good stuff in there. And the more stuff, you play yeah. it in all the different ways and all the different ways that you can show it, you know, it makes a huge difference. There's so much research. That's the reason for the book is that, there's a ton of research on bonding and attachment and the brain science, and why this age group is so important. And even kids with brain injuries, the way you're able to kind of really do the work that you need to do to help them because of this age group, because of the zero to five and the development that happens in your brain. So I love them, this age group, for that reason, just because they are so, so smart and they're learning so much that it's such an opportunity for us to be creating these little change makers that we're going to put out in the world.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. Can you give us some quick strategies to remember from your book and, and the clues, I guess?
1: You know, I talk about play. I talk about using play um, and dramatic play and also play in a way that is their language, right? It's their work. That's my favorite quote. I know you oh, yeah. have play being the work of the child is like one of my favorite quotes, but you can get them to do anything in play. And diffusing with humor is another one where if we can keep our wits about us and diffuse with humor, it's kind of one of those things that puts every, all the stress levels to a whole another level. I talk about the green, the, the media smoothie, you know, like just thinking about what you're feeding your kids' brains in the same way that you're feeding their bodies. What does that look like? I talk about mastery and what repetition really means, right? It's not literally the exact same thing every time. It's a little bit. Um, you're you're gradually getting a little. You're scaffolding the messaging, right? So you're getting a little bit harder, a little bit harder, so that you're gaining mastery. And then I talk a lot about intrinsic motivation because you don't want to throw your kids at the piano if you want them mm. playing. You you don't want that association of like negative with the piano if that's what you want for them in their future, right? It has to right. be. It has to be a combination of what you deem important and what they want to be doing, right? So our job is to is to bring it out in the most positive way, all the different things that are around at our disposal and see what they love. And if they love, the more they love, the more they do. That's, you know, so there's a ton of little things in there. And then what we try to do as media makers is to incorporate a lot of that theory in, into the shows, whether we scream about it or talk about it or, or we just kind of sprinkle it in.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And that brings me to radical kindness. Same thing. I feel like it's just so seamlessly woven in to media and definitely your shows that you produce. Um, So tell us what radical kindness really means.
1: This came from a conversation I was having with PBS where they said, do you have any science behind kindness? Because one of the threads that we can see in in all of your shows is this idea of kindness. And so we talked a lot. I talk a lot about how it's not just being nice, you know, the idea of kindness is seeing seeing with your heart, which when I say it, when when you read it, it doesn't sound as corny as when I say it out loud, but (laughs) it's that empathy, it's that empathy piece. And the radical is that ability to be able to turn around and see things from somebody else's point of view, right? And then to also understand when you're trying to have self-love for yourself sometimes doesn't seem to be kind if you need to let somebody out of your life, but you're really, you are being kind to yourself because so that's the definition. And so it's not just being nice and letting people walk all over you, but it's actually doing what's best for you, what's best for the world, what's best for your family and what's best for how you're putting stuff out. Into the world, right? In order to get it back. And there's a, a kindness loop, right? Where the yeah. truth is, the more you put it out, the more you get it back. And so I talk about the science behind that as well. And it was nice to be able to say, you know, I've never got out prior to this to be like kindness as a curriculum, you know, versus <laughs> reading or, you know, socio emotional. But it was so, it was so nice to be able to be like, yeah, it's all in here.
0: And this it is. It it is. Tell us about a mom sense moment that you had.
1: Well, I remember, just I remember knowing, like, you know, you know, when your kid is off, right? Like, you know, yeah. when there's something going on. And I remember Ella was 12. And I was like, well, you know, when something seems bad, you have to turn it around and find something good. And she goes, don't you Daniel Tiger me? <laughs> like, it's like, maybe not as pointed as I just said it, but like, it was That's that moment where you're is. like... I know you're 12 but I can use this because yeah. I, you know I need you to be you know so it's
0: that those kinds of things. that is so funny oh my goodness <laughs> I love it it's now time for mom Hall, when we share products we love is there a product that you are loving that's just a game changer that you're using it could be a, an app it could be a physical product really anything
1: you wouldn't know it by looking at me right now but the Peloton has changed
0: me. <laughs> oh, nice. You look awesome. Yes. Yeah, not at all.
1: <laughs> There's one thing that Covid has done with me. But um but that's really lovely. I think the uh, I use the Deepak, I had used the Deepak Chopra Oprah meditation app which yep. is like my favorite thing.
0: And where can my listeners find you?
1: Angela's mm-hmm. um, and I, you know, I definitely Get all the messages, and I'm trying to write back to everybody, and and also trying to keep up with the posts as much as I can.
0: Yes, yes, and your books as well. Your books yes. are on Amazon, everywhere. and yeah, everywhere. We will link that in the show notes. Oh my goodness, I feel like a weight has been lifted after speaking to you. You, you just, you're so centered, and it just, it, it feels like I'm, I'm talking to a friend. So this was an amazing conversation, and I'm just so thankful and grateful to you for helping us parents in the way that you do, um, with your work, with your books, with your programming. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you so much and give those babies a hug for me. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: I will. I will. Wasn't it so interesting to hear from Angela Santomero? I loved learning the backstory of what kids programming entails because I feel like if we all think back, we all have shows that left an impression on us, and we can't seem to forget well into our adult life. And the shows that she's created, like Super Wide, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, and uh, Blue's Clues are ones that our kids are always going to remember. And that's a really great thing. I wanted to share a testimonial from a past guest on That Subtle Mom Sense, Samantha Edis, who's the CEO of Park Place Payments and the author of The Pie Life, A Guilt-Free Recipe for Success and Satisfaction. She says, Kanika's energy is contagious, and I had a blast on the show. Thank you, thank you, Samantha I am so fortunate to have the caliber of guests that I have. All of you women are powerhouses, and it's an honor to be able to share your stories. As always, you can follow me on social. I'd love to hear from you and interact with you. My insta handles are at Kanika Chada Gupta and at That's Total Mom Sense. You can write to me at that's total momsense at gmail.com. If you have any ideas for show topics or um, interview pitches or just want to say hi, I can't wait to be in touch. And as always, remember, trust your mom sense. Stay strong, super mamas. See you next time. That's total mom sense.